Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome. We are going to talk about excellent decisions today. Have you ever made a crappy decision? Have you made an excellent decision? Have you made a mediocre decision? And how does that affect being in a toxic relationship? What's all that about? My guest today is Robert McPhee. We're going to pull all this together and help you understand how to make excellent decisions. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, wow, so glad you found us. And if you're returning, I'm glad that you found enough value to want to come back. Be sure to tell your friends. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash save your sanity. And you can pledge a dollar, two dollars, five dollars a month just to make this all available to people around the world. So that's patreon.com slash save your sanity. And it's important for us to be able to make good decisions. It's important for us to make decisions at all. And sometimes a decision is better than no decision. So welcome Robert McPhee, the creator of excellentdecisions.com. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, me too, because, you know, it's important for us to recognize that we make a lot of decisions every day, big ones, small ones, mediocre, middle ones. We're constantly decision-making machines. So later on in this conversation, I want to get to the the decision-making business, but, you know, you've been part of the very forward-looking community for a very long time, Robert. <laughs> and that's that's exciting, not to make you old, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things. So let me tell people about you. Robert McPhee is a leadership coach and consultant. He's the former director of training for Jack Canfield. Yes, that Jack Canfield. A founding member of the Transformational Leaders Council and a co-founder of the Southern California Association of Transformational Leaders. And he has done some great work about helping us make decisions and take action driven by vision and our particular and personal visions for our lives. So when did you start to focus on decision-making? Well, you're right. I, I have been blessed over the last 20 plus years to work with and learn from some really amazing people working with Jack Canfield and being around that transformational leadership group. And um, it's about 10 years ago since my book came out. And it was really several years after that, probably only four or five years ago that I really focused in on decision making because what I realized was 
that I was focusing a lot on the inner work, the work about our thoughts and our beliefs and our habits. And, and I love that, you know, I'm listening to several episodes of your podcast, I think we're alike in that way, you know, that we love to get into those juicy conversations about the inner work. But I also think of myself as a really practical person in the sense of, of getting out there and, and expressing ourselves in the world and being in action and creating results and experiences in the world. And what I realized was that the decisions that we make are really the bridge between those two worlds, mm -hmm. that the people who go so deep into the personal development and personal growth work that they never actually get into action, it's because they never make a decision. They don't make a decision to what action to take. So uh, the other thing about the decisions work is uh, my book was actually called Manifesting for Non-Gurus, which I'm very proud of my book. It's a great book. I get great feedback. I'm happy to make a PDF version of it available to your audience. Um, but what I learned was that manifesting for non-gurus, and, and you kind of chuckled a little bit, but it's a perfect example. It's a clever title, but a horrible brand. And in terms of really getting my work out there and getting people's attention, people don't necessarily understand exactly what we mean by manifesting, and they're not necessarily drawn to, to the guru concept. But when we talk about excellent decisions, that's something that really gets people's attention. I think people just in their gut understand that making good decisions and making decisions as we define excellent decisions based on vision and values and value has a significant impact on really every area of our life. So that's, that's how that all came about. Well, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning, Robert, and says, I think I'd like to make a really bad decision today. You know, <laughs> let me think of what I could do that would destroy my health, damage my relationships and get me fired at work. I doubt very much that there are people who do that, but there are people who actually end up doing that because they don't know how to make good decisions. And so there's a lot to talk about them. But, you know, I, in this recent pandemic, which may be the first wave, I don't know, but in this recent pandemic, I was reading an article about decision-making fatigue that actually, because we that we had to up level our number of decisions, people were having much more fatigue as a result and thinking, what's wrong with me? But they're having to make decisions. Is it safe to go to the store? Should I wear a mask? You know, so many things. What do I have to do? How many steps are there to getting the groceries from the car into the house in a safe manner? Do you think that we actually can experience decision-making fatigue? I do. And, and it does take quite a bit of energy. Um, and, and you said it yourself, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, today's my day to make a bunch of horrible decisions. But the opposite side of excellent decisions, which are based on vision and values and value, are decisions that are based on stress and pressure. And, and the truth is, we all wake up in a world filled with all sorts of stress and pressure, all sorts of external influences with advertising and media and social media and movies and television, and in some cases, our friends and our family. And, and you have these compelling conversations about the relationships that people find themselves in that are sometimes the kind of influences that are pushing us exactly in that direction of making terrible decisions. And in terms of decision fatigue, I find that the people who do put in the effort to get clear about what's really important to them, get a strong sense of who they really are and what's important to them, don't have to work so hard for each decision. They start to come more naturally. 
because the decisions are driven by who I know I really am and what I know is really important to me. So in a sense, I can continue to make decision after decision after decision, and it doesn't feel like hard work and effort. It's the same thing that we see with people who are doing work that they love. They don't look like they're working hard. They don't look like they're putting a lot of effort and stress. They may be working, you know, 16-hour days, but they love what they're doing. They're in a, in a state of joy and, and ecstasy in some cases. They don't look like they're having to work really hard at it because they have that sense of being on purpose, doing what they're really here to do. So to me, that's the recipe or, uh, or the antidote, if you will, for decision fatigue, is to make your decisions based on a real sense of clarity about what's important to you so that you don't have to agonize over them. You don't have to rethink them. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you make a decision. It can become more effortless for you. Yes. I mean, I understand. I want to just break that down for a minute. You know, people say to me, when are you going to retire? And I say, I am retired. And they tell me, well, you work all the time. And I say, my definition of retirement is that time of life when you get to do exactly what you want to do all day. So I'm retired. What I do floats my boat and flips my skirt. And I'm very happy to continue doing it. And I get up in the morning looking forward to what kind of a difference that I make. And so I, I understand completely what you're saying. But, you know, we have this issue with two things that you brought up. Uh, we being people in general, not you and I perhaps so much because we spend our days looking at this kind of thing. But people in general look at a decision and sometimes they do the Scarlett O'Hara thing. Oh, well, think about that tomorrow. They, they don't want to make a decision. Secondly, they don't want to spend time alone long enough to see the components of making a good decision. Like I find people saying to me, well, I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. I can't think about it. I'm in a fog. I, I'm running as fast as I can. I can't think about it. And when we really come down to it, confronting themselves is what they're afraid of, is sitting in the silence to think about what would be best for me, which is the piece that you brought up about your vision and your values and all of those things that go into it. If you don't have some sense of where you sit with all that, <laughs> then you have a piece of work to do, don't you? Yes, you really do. And, and you bring up a good point about those moments where we're faced with making decisions, especially if they're really important and really significant and really big decisions, if you will. I believe that's the worst time to be trying to identify your, your own vision, your own values, what's really important to you, because you're already under the increased stress and pressure of having this decision in front of you. And so this, it's a huge difference for the person who's already done the work, who's already asked the questions. And, and truthfully, they're, they're fairly simple questions. We can go very deep with them. But when we are identifying our vision, it's not a horribly complicated process. It's just something that people need to allocate the time for. They need to pause their lives long enough to be able to ask the questions and identify what it is they really want and how it's going to impact all the areas of their life and to create a vision of, of what they really want and how it's going to create an experience of life that's maybe completely different than what they have now. I can and, and just feel right now, Robert, people going, oh, that's a lot. That is really a lot. Here I am. I've been head down, tail up, raising a family, going to work, doing all these things. And now you're saying, 
I sh I should know what I'm up to and be present in the moment and all of that. No, 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 no. I think I'll go and mow the lawn. So let's back <laughs> that up for a moment. And and what what's a good beginning point if that sounds like a whole lot to undertake? Well, first of all, I want to deliver some really good news, and and oh, I good. think you're right, and I'm glad you paused me because I think you're absolutely right. That is the way a lot of people would respond. And the really good news about this, and here I am, and, and you said it yourself, you and I are immersed in this work. We've been part of this conversation on one level or another for, for years and years. And, and for you and I, the improvements, the distinctions, the, re, the refining of our vision and our values is all very incremental. But the good news for someone that this conversation is new to is that in a very short period of time, just scratching the surface of this conversation can create huge awareness, huge opportunities, huge sense of possibility where maybe there was the sense of, I don't even know where to begin. And, and when I talk about that whole process of clarifying vision, if someone can carve out 20 minutes to get out of their normal environments, to get away from their office, to get away from their home, to go for a walk, to go to a park, to go to a beach, to go to a, a hike trail or whatever, and sit down with a journal and just for maybe 15 minutes, ask themselves some, some questions about what they really want and what's really important to them in their life. It doesn't need to be, and that was ironically, that was the whole thing with manifesting for non-gurus was we're all manifesting every single day. We're all attracting results into our lives based on the thoughts we think and the, and the habits we have and the actions we take. We're all manifesting every single day. It's just a question of whether we're manifesting what it is we really want. And we don't need to be a guru. We don't need to take 10 years of our life and live in the cave in India and somehow become enlightened. We all have access like through podcasts, just like this one, through social media and media and the internet, we have access to all this information about how to create our life more the way we'd really like it to be. And again, that first step, I, and I, again, I'm glad you paused me because it can sound like, oh my gosh, I've got to quit my job and move to India and live in a cave. But the truth is you don't. You just need to find 15 minutes. You need to turn off the television for a half an hour and say, you know what, what's more important to me? Clarity about my future or, you know, what happens at the end of The Bachelor, you know, whatever. Um, but what so happens, Robert, when you have a fear of confronting your, yourself because you're, you're unfamiliar in that territory? You've been in the head down, you know, be more, do more, have more, rinse, repeat cycle. And the, I, just the very idea of sitting down and finding out who's in there and what's in your heart and what you really think about things a little scary, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, and it's a good time to look at what fear really is. And fear is, is what we call negative goal setting, right? It's worry, it's fear, it's, it's imagining all the things we don't want to have happen. And again, in this realm of awareness, like the, the work that we do with excellent decisions starts with awareness and then goes into clarity and then goes into letting go of attachments, which is where we get out of our own way and, and change our habits and our beliefs and our current ways of thinking. And then the fourth step is, is taking what we call inspired action. And in this, in this area of fear, the first and most important thing, I believe, is to really just become aware of what fear is. That in a lot of cases, we're not in any real like physical danger. 
We just have a mind that's trying to keep us safe. And by, by any time we imagine something changing or being different or being new, the mind says, no, 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 don't do that. That's dangerous. That's scary. We, we don't want to see anything like that. And what starts if it run- doesn't work? Yeah, what if it doesn't work? Oh my gosh, like what if it doesn't work? And the truth is, what if it doesn't work? Then stop doing that and do something else. You know, it's, it's, and, and I don't mean to undermine um, bona fide real fear. Sometimes if there is a, a very real danger, a very real fear, then, then that's different. Um, but in a lot of cases, what we're doing is, is, like I said, we're doing like negative goal setting, all the things that work to create the results and experience we want in our life of clarifying our vision and clarifying our values. If we're experiencing fear and worry and anxiety and stress, we're really negative goal setting. We're using our attention and the power of our own mind to imagine all the things we don't want to have happen. And lo and behold, the mind is amazing at finding ways for those things to happen. So, Right. Well, that happens a lot in toxic relationships um, because there is constant fear. Mm -hmm. People are walking on eggshells, they're hypervigilant, they're concerned, they're looking over their shoulder at all times, they're second guessing themselves. So there is some very real fear. But I love this idea of negative goal setting, because if you stay in that mindset, if you stay in the fear, if you stay in the the terrible place, you know, I wrote a book in 2003 called What You Pay Attention To Expands. So if you keep focusing on the ain't it awful, this is going nowhere, everything is terrible, I don't know how I'm going to survive, you will stay in that mindset, of course, as I'm sure you wrote about. And in a toxic relationship, you're so worn down, torn down, and put down that sometimes just bringing yourself upright and saying, maybe I could see above the fog for a minute. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could see new possibilities, you know, as... Susan Forward wrote a book quite a long time ago called uh, Emotional Blackmail. And in there, I'm using the word fog very purposefully because she had it as an acronym for fear, obligation, and guilt. So in a toxic relationship, if you can arise above all of the negativity for a moment and say, if I can just get beyond the fear, obligation, and guilt and say, what if, what if this were not occurring right now? What if life were different? What if I made a s- small choice? So yep. I'm always telling people, you know, make small choices. When I wrote Kaizen for Couples, Kaizen means small, positive, incremental change, right? So make small choices. And then it doesn't seem so overwhelming. It doesn't seem like you're trying to eat the elephant in one bite. And maybe it's doable. So, yeah, and that's a that's a great example of what I would call an excellent decision is to take that small step, and and to take that small step in the direction of, of what it is you really want. And and I think you bring up a really good point too, which is in a truly toxic relationship. There's, that's a great example of what I was talking about with a bona fide fear, with mm-hmm. with emotional and in, in many verbal, in many cases physical abusive relationships the fear is very real and, and, and a very powerful coping mechanism for us to keep ourselves out of danger. Um, I would say the work that we're talking about, about getting clear about vision and values is empowering to start with, to help that person then make a decision about what step to take. And I could not agree with you more about the importance, especially in a situation like that, 
about taking a small step, not feeling like you need to solve the whole problem all at once, but taking a small step in the direction that you want to go and continue to empower yourself that way. Okay, let's talk about, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about, but I want to get this one in. You know, I think you bring up a point about comfort zones and how we get stuck in a comfort zone. And sometimes with toxic relationships, the people who are the partners of the toxic people get stuck in what I call the comfortably uncomfortable zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're used to being uncomfortable. They're, they're, they maybe were raised in a hijackal home with toxic people. So they get into a relationship that is toxic, but it's comfortably uncomfortable. It's familiar somehow. And to have to use your the ability to raise up above the clouds again and above the fog to say, is there another way? Is there a better way? What would that way be? So speak to us about this comfort zone idea that you put forward. And remember everyone, I'm talking to Robert McPhee of excellentdecisions.com. So, you know, if you really want to rush right over there, make sure that you go in the show notes if and find that link and get there quickly (laughs) yeah and i love the question because uh, you know i've been really blessed with the relationships that i've been in my life my parents were amazing i've been married for 30 years i have three amazing kids and all that and and when i work with people who are in relationships that are very different than the kind of relationships that for the most part i've been blessed to have in my life um, this issue of comfort zones is is really huge because it is a big part of why people get stuck in a situation that they would never argue is good for them. Nobody says, oh, this relationship is great for me, you know? And and you used a word, I believe comfort zones are are mislabeled and use the word familiar. And and arguably it would be much more accurate to call it a familiarity zone. It's something that I've become familiar with. And as a result of um, human beings love change, right? Like we, we desire change. We want things to be better. We want to make more money. We want to lose weight. We want to improve our relationships. We human condition, we want to change things, right? But the other side of the human condition is we also resist change, right? And even if it's something that we know is good for us, you know, double my income, who would say, oh no, I don't want that to happen. Get into a loving, nurturing, caring, supportive relationship. Oh no, I'd never want, nobody would say that. But people resist making more money. They resist losing weight. They resist getting out of a relationship that doesn't work and into one that does work. And I believe that comfort zones are the absolute reason why that is. And and one of the things I do in my book and in the work I do in the awareness stage is help people understand what a comfort zone is, first of all. Because people tell us, oh, you need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to expand your comfort zone. And it sounds good. But people don't know even what a comfort zone is. So the way I define a comfort zone is when your behavior, the way you're showing up in the world, matches your belief about who you really are, like who I am. Then you're in a comfort zone, even if the behavior and and that belief about who you are isn't what you want. So if someone's in a relationship that's not working, and like you said, maybe they grew up with that was the modeling for what relationships are, whatever the reason, somehow they've identified with the fact that for them, in their world, in their life, this is what a relationship looks like. It looks like not being treated well. It looks like not being respected. It looks like not being appreciated. That's what relationships look like. And they've become you know, comfortable. But again, as you said, really, it's familiar with that. 
So when they try to change, when they try to create a new result, a better relationship, it actually makes them uncomfortable because it, uncomfortable, like out of their comfort zone, means that's out of balance. The result they're trying to get, a loving, nurturing, supportive, appreciative relationship, doesn't match with their belief about who they really are. And for a lot of people, whether it's a health issue or a money issue or a relationship issue, when they really get that that's what's going on, all these times they've tried to improve their relationship and they, why did I go back? Why don't I go? And that when they realize it comes back to that self-image that they've adopted and they realize that they can change that self-image, there are ways over time that we can change our self-image and actually create a new comfort zone. So some of that resistance goes away. So I love, especially with race relationships and also with health, because we see people, you know, January 1st every year, they're all joining the health club and running off to get in shape. And then February 1st, they're all gone, right? And it's because they have a self-image that they've adopted of being an unfit, overweight, out of shape person who doesn't like to exercise or whatever that looks like. And they're trying to create a new result called healthy fit well that doesn't match their self-image. They get really uncomfortable. As soon as we get uncomfortable, the easiest thing to do to get back to being comfortable is just go back to what we were doing before. Go back to sitting on the couch and watching Netflix and eating potato chips or go back to that relationship even though we know it's not working for us. So it's a powerful awareness for people. Yes, very well said. I think that's definitely worth considering why, why we don't have that match or why we have that mismatch. And I'm always telling people, you know, you need to live from your values, your vision for your life, your beliefs, and your next purposes or challenges or steps. And if we don't spend time with ourselves, we'll never find those. <laughs> but when we're in a toxic relationship, it is that familiar zone. And maybe we have a whole story that goes with mm -hmm. it about mm -hmm. ain't it awful? He done me wrong. She's a mess. You know, we have that story. We live in that story. And we want to have people say, oh, that's awful which of course we want people to recognize we're going through something difficult, but it's not until that moment that says, and I want out. I and want something I want better. To construct yeah. something different, better, more satisfying, healthier, whatever it is that they can begin to entertain the notion that there is something out there. I do prefer it. What is the journey from where I am to where that would be part of my daily reality and that it would, it would stay, it would have staying power. Because and this is, this is exactly what happens. You're, you're speaking beautifully exactly the beginning of that conversation about creating a vision, that there is a possibility that there's something better. What would that look like? What would I have to do? I'm starting to think differently. I'm creating a new possibility. And don't get me wrong and I think you know this, it doesn't happen overnight. We don't just create a new self-image, you know, sit down with your journal for 15 minutes and create a new self-image and wake up the next morning in a loving, nurturing relationship. It doesn't work that way. But if you think about it, if you really do start working today on creating a new self-image, a new sense of what's possible and what's really important to you and start thinking of ideas, what are, what are the things that I could do? What could I do differently? Where could I go? Who could I be with? What could I read and learn from? You know, this podcast is a great example. It's opening people up to new possibilities. It's literally creating a vision for people that they can then choose. 
decide, you know, excellent decisions whether to lean into that or not. And what um, could I get excited about or what what sparks joy in me or where where do I see something that looks like a happy place that I would like to inhabit? You know, whatever that journey starting point is for you, that's so important mm-hmm. because maybe it's just a glimmer. Maybe it's a day and the sun is shining, everything's good, and the hijackal in your life is maybe giving you the silent treatment or has gone on vacation. Um, and just be blessed in that moment to know that you have silence and you have no need to have fear. And maybe in that moment you say, what would it be like not to be in this situation? What would it like be like to to have a sense of peace in my life or a sense of accomplishment? And what does that feel like? Can I just get in touch with that in my body? What would that feel like? Ah, that might feel really good. Now, what would it take to take one small step toward that? Maybe the first step is just simply saying, that could be possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I could entertain that. Ooh, scary. Yeah, there's 10 people who wouldn't but like that's that. But that's that. the comfort zone right there. That's the, so you're leaning into this new vision, this new possibility. And what you described is exactly what happens when we get out of our comfort zone, because leaning into that new vision, if we create a new sense of who we really are, that doesn't match our current results, that makes us just as uncomfortable as creating a new result that doesn't match our self image. And that fear, like you said, Ooh, scary. Uh, no, no, no. It's like your mind saying, no, go back. This is safe. You know, don't change anything, you know, and, and, and being able to just recognize that for what it is, it's just a natural part of any time we embark on changing something, changing our financial situation, changing our relationships, changing our physical health, changing whatever it is. The first response is, oh, no, danger, scary, you know, you can't do that. You know, stay right where you are. It's safe. And, but you and just the, gave everybody permission. Yeah, and hopefully right it gives people a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Because once you realize this, you know, no one ever told you this before, chances are. I mean, most of the time when I'm sharing this little math equation about, you know, comfort zone is when your image of who you are matches. It equals. It's like math, right? A plus B. When it equals your current results, you know, you know, toxic relationship, who I really am, someone who belongs in a relationship where they're not treated well, when that matches, you're comfortable. How's that working for you? You know, it's your whole conversation, right? That's, you can do better. There's a new possibility. It's going to be uncomfortable, but that's okay. Like, that's just the process. That's what happens. That's how it works. And so when you do start leaning into this, you do start getting ideas and you feel that fear Hopefully people are more able to just say, okay, thank you, fear. I was expecting your arrival. You always seem to show up at this time. You stand over there because I'm kind of busy right now. I'm going to see what I can do. That one small step that you talked about. And I just want to add a little bit to the toxic relationship conversation because if you can't do that for yourself, start by doing it for your children. Do do I want this to be the vision of a relationship that my children hold and live into? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we can't do it for ourselves yet. We're, we're still in that place of needing to grow. But what I have found that, that they say, oh, I do not want this for my children. And that can be the entry point to making an excellent decision. Tell for us sure. about your book. I know that, that um, it's available. I know you're available. So, Tell us how people can 
find you and learn more? Uh, well, the simplest way to get the book is if people go to excellentdecisions.com forward slash joy, J-O-Y, they can get a free copy of the, uh, of the book. It's a PDF copy of the book. And at that same, at that same page, they'll see a video that, that lays out for, especially for visual learners, this concept that we've been talking about, about comfort zones and why people experience resistance, even when it's a goal or an intention or a change that they know would be good for them. They know losing weight or getting into a better relationship would be good for them, but they're still feeling that resistance. The video explains how that works, and it's especially powerful for visual learners. And uh, excellentdecisions.com is the best way to find me. You know, I, I don't have 12 different gatekeepers. I'm not that hard to find. Um, and I'd love to help uh, people from your audience in any way that I possibly can. Great. So there's a great gift for you at the perfect price. It's free. <laughs> Go to excellentdecisions.com slash joy and do that. So in closing, I'd like to ask you a question because I think this may be sitting with some people now that they've heard this. And they think about decisions that they've made. And their question is, okay, I make a decision. How do I comfort myself in knowing that I'm making a decision that I won't have any regrets? And what if I do make a decision that I have regrets? What would you say to them? Well, the truth is, I used a word earlier about guilt and I think, you know, regret and guilt are really similar. One of the most powerful things I learned from Jack Canfield was the definition of guilt. You, you can tell I like these little definitions, a little kind of mathematical way of looking at these things. But, but he said guilt occurs when our behavior doesn't match our belief about what a good person is. So when we have regrets about a decision that we made, an action that we took, it's usually because we have this belief that we're holding about what a good person would have done in that situation. And the truth is, if we want to let go of the guilt, if we want to let go of the regret, there's no way to go back and change our behavior. We can't go back. And if you figure out a way to do that, let me know. I, I'm all in for that. But as best as I can tell, we can't go back in time and change what we did. So with this little equation in mind, there's two things we can do. One is we can make a commitment to change our action moving forward and say, you know, moving forward, I'm not going to do that. If we treated someone poorly, we're, we're going to treat people well in that arena, um, whatever the action was. So we can change our behavior moving forward. The other thing we can do, and this is a really powerful thing for keep people to keep in mind, is that we can redefine what we've adopted as our own personal belief about what a good person is. Because I believe truly everyone, and, and you I know, could tell story after story from the work you've done around toxic relationships about people behaving horribly. But even in those situations, I believe people are doing the best they can with the awareness, skills, and knowledge they have. Some people have a woefully low supply of awareness, skills, and knowledge, and they treat other people poorly and all these kinds of things. But the truth is, I believe people are all doing the best they can, the best we can, with what we have. And if we can look back at situations where we're experiencing regret or guilt, and just acknowledge that even in that moment where we wish we had done something differently, we were doing the best we could. That's all we can ever do is the best we could. In some cases, it doesn't make it right. It might not make us feel all rainbows and unicorns about it, but it will at least put us on a path where we can look at resolving a relationship issue or, or apologizing or whatever and move, moving forward with our life in some more productive way than just being caught up in all the regret and the guilt. 
Beautiful. And I just want to put this caveat in there. If you just wanted to jump on the compassion train about your hijackal because of what Robert just said, let me put this in there. We can understand that someone is doing the best that they can because of their upbringing, which is true about a person who has toxic behaviors. However, you can have compassion from a distance. Don't enable or condone their behaviors. Just, you know, that taps into the, a good person would have all this compassion and then we would be empathetic and we would be rushing to say, if only I love them enough, they'll change. If only I show them that I'll put up with things, they'll relax. That is not true with toxic people. So mm -hmm. what you were just saying there, absolutely true. But for my listeners, don't jump on that compassion train. Have yes, it, it's a it, great, yeah, very important, <laughs> yeah, very important distinction that you can go too far with that. And forgiveness is a wonderful thing, but letting someone off the hook is something entirely different. I and think I, forgiveness is an inside job, Robert. I think we forgive people in order to not have them take up any more real estate in our heart and mind. And it's not condoning behavior. It is none of those things. And I'm sure you would agree. It's not condoning behavior. It's just simply saying, I don't, I don't want that as part of my day-to-day -day thinking and feeling any longer. So I forgive. Yes. I, I give it away. I release it. And then I have that energy back to use for other things. I think we could talk forever. So maybe we should leave it there and talk another day. But thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. I've been talking with Robert McPhee. So many things in the show notes about him. Remember, he used to work with Jack Canfield. He's done all kinds of things to help people grow and lead and be on the leading edge of how we can be our best selves and unlock our potential. Find him at excellentdecisions.com. Remember, he has that gift for you at excellentdecisions.com slash joy. All of these things are in the show notes. So if you're out for a run, don't worry. You can find them when you get back on your phone. And until we speak again, as I tell you every single time, take very good care of yourself. Why? Because you matter. And I really want you to get that down to the deepest part of you. You matter. And it means you start by treating yourself as though you do. Do that and we'll talk again soon. Take care. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash save your sanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.